Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Work in Progress. I am your host, Joanna, and today I will be joined by Stuart Seidel from New York to talk about stress management and how we can better manage change during difficult times. Stuart is an industrial organizational psychologist and is the Dean of Social and Behavioral Sciences at Mercy College. And he's also a consultant that's helped organizational leaders foster an environment that's less stressful and more productive. Hi, Stuart. How are you today? Hello there. Hi, Joanna. I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to have you here with us. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself with a bit more about who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, well, right now, uh, I'm a dean at Mercy College of the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Uh, that includes psychology, sociology, international relations. Uh, we're the largest private uh, minority-serving institution uh, in New York, uh, which is wonderful. Soon will be Mercy University. Uh, but as an industrial psychologist, I've worked with many organizational leaders uh, to help them grow and develop and manage their own stress uh, in addition to reducing the stresses of others, but sometimes by managing their own stress, they end up creating a less stressful environment because many times when people are stressed, their dark side personality traits come out. And oftentimes I help them gain awareness of those traits. So as a result, they have less stressful environments. So that's a little bit about me. And uh, I uh, was born in Baltimore, but now work in New York area. Yeah. How'd you find yourself in New York? Well, um, I was working in Chicago for many years, uh, and then I came to a different university uh, from Chicago to to lead their industrial organizational psychology program. Uh, And also, most of my family lives on the East Coast of the United States, so it was a convenient choice. Yeah, amazing. And I know you've got a particular interest in stress management in the context of like the workplace. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me like how you got into this field? Like what made you interested in it? Mm, That's a good point. Well, uh, good question. I uh, was interested in psychology and journalism and like a lot of psychology majors, I assumed I'd be counseling people who were depressed uh, or suffering with anxiety. but I discovered later on uh, my interest in industrial psychology. And as I started to get older, it seemed like everybody I knew had stress about their jobs or worry about your jobs or the institutions that stress them out they had to deal with, whether it's your schools or other organizations like the government. Uh, so being able to make a contribution uh, to make those places less stra- uh, less stressful, um, more effective, uh, seemed like meaningful work to me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I've enjoyed that. 
that sounds really good. And I feel like yeah. knowing that you wanted to go into that more right. specific part of the field is really great. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and then, then also uh, I like the balance of consulting with organizations and being an academic because I also, you know, love uh, education as a tool to help people get into the careers of their dreams and to uh, have uh, social mobility and have a better life as a result of education. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think we're in really mm -hmm. great hands today. So before yeah, we get started, um, I'll introduce you in a little section we like to call, Have You Met Stuart? So our okay. first question for you is, do you have a favorite book or anything you're reading at the moment? Yes. Well, actually, I just started rereading a book that I read in high school, uh, which is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, and, I, and I thought that also fits well with today's podcast. Yeah. And what what's that one about? Well, uh, Viktor Frankl is a psychiatrist uh, who survived living in concentration camps during World War II. As a, uh, as a Jewish person, he was in a concentration camp, and he sort of uh, explains his, his ability to survive and cope was uh, his ability to find meaning in his life and to have meaning and purpose, and that helped him uh, stay um, optimistic and hopeful. And then... Uh, it, it sort of inspired his career as a psychiatrist afterwards in terms of helping people find meaning and helping people um, sort of deal with the gap between who they are and who they would like to be uh, based on their desire for a meaningful life. Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's also one of life's biggest um, like questions, like mm -hmm. finding meaning in that aspect. So that's yeah. a really great one to put out there. And my next one is, do you have a movie you're enjoying at the moment or Well, favorite? I was thinking about today what sort of fit with the topic. And I was thinking of kind of a silly movie, but a, a Groundhog Day. And oh, I was yeah. thinking Groundhog Day because you are talking about stress and personal productivity. And I think in that movie, uh, Bill Murray, the comic actor, relives the same day over and over and over again. He's stuck in a time loop. And he doesn't get out of it until he finally gets the day right. Mm. And and through that process, he discovers what is meaningful to him. Uh, what are, where does he find purpose? Um, and all throughout the beginning, his little stressors and other things he faces makes him grumpy towards people and makes other things unnecessarily stressful. But once he's more clear on what gives him meaning and what gives him purpose, he's able to get better and better at making that same day more perfect. Yeah. And, and I think more that fulfilling. Could, yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of could be like a really great analogy for this. Like I feel like when we get stressed or when we're going through change and we're going through difficult times, we feel like we're reliving the same feelings and issues over and over again. And we don't like move past it until we figure out right. what to and do. And we expect different results, you know, yeah. you say, every time this happens, you know, you annoy me instead of like maybe rethinking your approach and trying to get a different response. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. that's a really great one. I think we can definitely yeah. <laughs> use that while we're going yeah. through this. Amazing. And my next one is podcasts. Are you into them? Do you listen to oh, any? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I've changed a lot, but I one consistent one has been The Hidden Brain. Okay. Uh, and The Hidden Brain often... It, it, it tells stories about psychology. It takes a psychological topic and a 
area of research and then tell stories and then interviews the psychologists who did the research. Um, and it's always fascinating to listen to. I recommend it. Yeah, amazing. Do you have like a favorite episode? Mm. Um, well, I was just listening the other day to one about uh, what makes people likable. Okay. And how yeah. people, and the gap between sometimes when people misperceive their own likability, when people are in situations where they sometimes assume they came across as unlikable, but they did not, or vice mm. versa. So that, that was interesting, but there's always interesting ones. It's good, good questions, good discussions. And I find that a good uh, podcast you learn from and it passes the time well during a commute. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was listening to a podcast on my way here today. So definitely a really great way to pass time. And lastly, I'd like to ask if you have a favorite, I mean, a famous role model or anyone in your life that you look up to. Well, I, I look up to a lot of people. Uh, but in terms of dealing with stress as a leader, I remember around the same time I became a department chair at a university, or that was one of my first major management responsibilities. Barack Obama became president and I was greatly yeah. inspired by his no drama Obama mm -hmm. uh, for tonight. I started thinking a lot about from him, how about how if you use too much dramatic language in the workplace, how much more stressful it can make things uh, to be. So I started saying, I want to be like no drama Obama. And instead of saying things like, if we do this, the Dean's head's going to explode. And changing, reframing that to a less dramatic response. If we ask the dean to do this, he may say no, but his head won't explode. You know, so so trying to replace dramatic language, uh, he inspired me to do that and be a little more cool, calm, and collected, and how that could help create a less stressful environment. So that I, yeah. that's one person, but I admire a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's a hard question because a lot of people don't have just one singular role model. But Barack Obama is a good one. And I love the whole thing of like making your life less dramatic and going through language as a way of doing that. Um, that's really effective. I've actually never thought about it that way, but that's a really good one to put out there. So thank you for that. And I think we can jump right into our interview questions now. Um, so my first one for you is over the course of your experience, how would you personally define personal productivity? I think personal productivity is making progress on goals that you find meaningful and that are important to you. Yeah. And when it comes to like finding goals that are meaningful to you, um, how do you go about that? Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's much more difficult than people think. A lot of us feel unproductive because we have lists and lists of things you must accomplish, but many times they include things that aren't meaningful to us. So we never feel good because we have things in our list that are shoulds, or maybe they're there be from childhood. You believe that you should always have something or be doing something, and, but you never really ask yourself the question, why do I want something? Sometimes we know we want something and keep putting it on the list and we never get it done. But we need to ask ourselves, why do we want that? Um, why do I want uh, to have a certain goal? Why do I want to be able to get into a certain program? Why do I want to have a certain thing done in my house? Why do I want to have my lawn looking a certain way? What is 
what is it that I want? But a more important question is, why do I want that? And knowing why it's going to give us meaning. And I think if you don't do that, you often sometimes have a, a list that's too long of daily things you need to accomplish or weekly things, and you're always feeling bad about it because you're not accomplishing something. And maybe you're not accomplishing it because you just don't care about it. Yeah. And I and think... I, yeah. Go no, ahead. you go. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, a lot of times people mistake, they think personal productivity is just efficiency and doing things quickly. Um, but if you could do a lot of things that aren't meaningful to you and uh, it's not going to get you closer to, to what you want and the type of life you want to live. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like you brought up a really great point of asking yourself why you want to do that. Because I'm sure a lot of people can relate to having a list of all these little things that they want to accomplish and then they accomplish them, but they're left still feeling like unsatisfied because they're not actually the goals that are meaningful to them. And I feel like it's so hard to sit with yourself and actually ask yourself why you want to accomplish something. Yeah. Like even if you say, you know, I want to make more money. Why? Yeah. What do you want? You know, I, I want a promotion. Why do you want that promotion? Uh, yeah. What do you want from it? You know, what and knowing why can also help you uh, prioritize um, and also remove things that don't belong on the list because you could be doing it for the reason you don't really care about. And, yeah. uh, and then you know, I think it's also important to reflect on the why in terms of what's driving you on that list. Sometimes... The why could be just because, I don't know, you're a conscientious person and you just believe if you set a goal, you must achieve it. And that's always been your personality. Mm. Uh, but sometimes you're not that person where you're doing something because it's important to you to maintain a certain relationship and you're doing it for somebody else. So even though it's not, the task isn't important to you, but maybe it's about making someone else happy and you want to make that person happy so it may make sense. Yeah. So maybe you don't care about, let's say, I don't know, having a clean dining room table, but maybe someone in your house that you care about does, and that may make it worthwhile to you. Uh, yeah. But maybe maybe you're doing something to make someone happy that you don't really care about making happy. And you may say, why am I, why am I doing that? You know, why, why, why should I put time into that? Yeah, for sure. And how do you even go about having like a vested interest in one of your goals? Like it might be important to you, but sometimes it's not important enough to really work towards it. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's in, important to explore. Cause that's why there's a lot of things that are just good to have, but may just not be important enough. And if you, if you start thinking about what's most important, that can help you prioritize and also distinguishing, uh, goals from just tasks. Like I think, mm. I think we have a belief that a goal doesn't count if it's not about a tangible task. You know, you can have a goal related to a relationship. You could have a goal about learning something and they could be a journey. They may not all be five minute tasks every day. You can't always have on your, um, to do list, master Spanish by 3 p.m., you know, or, <laughs> yeah. uh, or uh, spend quality time with my children. I mean, those can be on the list, but usually people, you know, you're not going to cross it off necessarily of complete mission accomplished, but you can make progress towards it or break it down to a smaller goal. But 
many times we think of those things as that's being unproductive you know, or, you know, at work. Um, the way a lot of people do meetings, they think that a good meeting is if you get it done really quickly, you have a bunch of agenda items and everyone gets five minutes to speak. And if you get through the agenda on time, that was a good, efficient meeting. But did you accomplish anything meaningful? Is any product better? Is the team better? Why are you having the meeting? Um, so if one of the reasons you're having the meeting is to build camaraderie, then maybe it's not about just having an efficient task list of agenda items. Maybe sometimes things that seem unproductive, like conversation, actually make sense at that meeting if you, one of your goals is to get the team to relate and interact. Yeah, um, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I, I think sometimes people get upset and say, oh, this meeting was unproductive because we didn't have that efficient list. We just talked all the time, but maybe that was the goal of the meeting, but I, you should still be intentional and sort of say to yourself, I'm having this meeting. And one of the purposes of our weekly meeting is to build camaraderie. And if people understand that they won't be as upset if they're like, why was half the meeting just talking? Versus, you know, efficient agenda items that could have been an email. Yeah. And what about our like more impatient goal setters or people who are ambitious, but they also want things done quickly? Mm -hmm. The type A personality oftentimes are very goal driven, but don't like planning. And that's mm. often their barrier. So type A's often struggle in becoming CEOs um, for two reasons. So type A's are the people who have a certain wiring where they find certain things stressful because they are always in a rush. They're goal-oriented but hate planning. They like to multitask and they're easily hostile. So mm. sometimes if you're easily hostile and get easily angered, that could damage you politically. But also if you don't have patience to plan and prioritize, it's hard to be strategic. And so many people with the type A personality don't want to stop and reflect on their goals. They just want to get things done without planning. So that's one yeah. reason. So some people are very impatient and as a result, they may get things done really quickly, but they may not be making things better, more creative or being strategic. They may just be replicating things or, or just doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of us are guilty of that. I know I'm guilty of that at times because we see like the end goal and we want that, but we're not willing to sort of put in all the effort that like will get you to that point and all the time that will get you to that point. Right. But, may, you may feel like planning and reflecting is unproductive. You know, yeah. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's move, move, move. Doing something's better than doing nothing. Well, sometimes doing something, doing nothing is better than doing something if that doing something is going to create more damage. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads nicely into our little next part, which is how would you define stress management then? Yeah, okay. Um, well, first of all, stress is like fire. Everyone knows what it is, but it's often hard to define. Um, and it's important to pay attention to definitions of stress and stress management. As a scholar who writes about stress, you know, you may find two conflicting articles about why, you know, what are the most stressful jobs in the world or uh, what stress management techniques are the best. But the first thing you need to look at is how was stress defined in the study? Because uh, it's often defined different ways. But anyway, 
stress management is not about the elimination of all stress. It's really about techniques and practices uh, to make stress more manageable, to help people cope with stress, to help remove some unnecessary stressors from organizations and from people's lives. Uh, but it's generally techniques to help you more effectively cope with the stress that's inevitable. Yeah, and do you think there's a correlation between stress and anxiety? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I like to distinguish the two, but they have some similar impacts on things like productivity. When I, in my work, when I'm usually talking about stress, it usually is a reaction to specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, you're stressed because you have to go to a training program. Uh, at the end of work, you already have too much to do. And it's also going to mean you probably are going to be late to pick up your kids at daycare. You're not stressed. Yeah. Where anxiety, a lot of times, we have where it's sometimes a trait, a characteristic. And until we may not even have a specific stressor, but we just have a generalized state of anxiety. Even if intellectually we know something is good, like maybe. Maybe you're an anxious person and you want to get married, but you still, your palms are sweating. You love the person. Uh, you're having trouble sleeping at night because just change makes you anxious, but you don't can't really articulate why. So I usually think of stress as your body's responding to something you appraise as threatening to your well-being. And it's usually tangible, like yeah. too much work or traffic or... Uh, a toxic relationship where anxiety is often something that's a little more permanent. It's often still there without something specific bothering you. Like you're still feeling anxious, even though you're not in traffic or you're just home and relaxing, but you still feel anxious or something that you've always wanted. Like the job of your dreams happens, but then suddenly you're just feeling like you can't eat and you can't sleep. Uh, so that's, that's how I like to distinguish that, especially when I'm talking about things like change management, the, the, the stress people usually feel in change management is they already have too much work or they're going to come across as incompetent or relationships are going to change. And then the anxiety is often harder to explain. People just feel like on edge, you know, but they don't really know why they can't articulate it. It just feels different. And then some people are just permanently anxious and it's something they deal with um and it's just part of who they are and some people take medication or some people just accept it yeah and do you think that anxiety can reshape how people deal with stress like naturally anxious people will be more stressed in difficult circumstances Mm. um i would say that people who um, you know, we would call it high neuroticism. People who are easily uh, angered, easily anxious, tend to find certain situations, most situations more stressful than people who have a more calm or less neurotic personality. But, you know, there's all sorts of differences. You know, a lot also depends, you know, sometimes people who are generally calm can, can feel stressed too, Um if they're in a situation where they're overly challenged and don't have the resources to deal with the challenge. Mm. But, but yeah, but generally people who are wired anxious 
often find certain things more stressful than people who are not. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, but in terms of like the workplace, um, how does stress impact like the workplace? Yeah, well, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And it impacts it in a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, you have to say what we're talking about. So if you're talking about what people call sort of arousal or nerves, sometimes a little bit of stress, just a little bit, helps. Um, in other words, we we talk about the yerkes dotson curve or uh, some other principles where um, if people find their work too easy and not challenging and there's no really tight deadlines, they get so bored that they don't do their best work. For example, you're a, a theater, you're, an, you're a cast of a show, and there's a certain energy that comes on opening night. But after a while, if you start doing the same show over and over again, the cast starts to seem dead and it gets more boring. So maybe the casting directors want to cast, recast it so yeah. that they get that energy, that spark again. Or a football team that's only playing teams that are much worse than them may not feel energized to try their best. But when they have a rival that maybe threatens them a little bit, then they'll play their best. Yeah. However, in both situations, if it's more than a little stress, it will harm performance. So in other words, if you're a performer and you're so stressed that you can't be present to the moment and you feel like you're going to pass out and you um, are completely lost in the stress and you're feeling like you're going to throw up, that will hurt performance, of course. Yeah. You know, so I just was, someone I was coaching the other day was talking to me. He gets Zoom anxiety. Zoom, he calls it Zoomiety. He was calling it <laughs> where at work. He said he gets so stressed before he has to speak at Zoom meetings that he can't even remember a thing he said afterwards. He almost is like, and he's almost like blacks out the entire experience. He's so stressed. Wow. Um, and that impacts his ability to give up compelling, meaningful, uh, you know, point and, and communication and message and also to actually facilitate a meaningful discussion afterwards. So that stress gets gets in the way. But to, to nuance stress and work a little more, uh, we could talk about different ways it impacts it. A lot of scholars break stress into two categories. The stressors of stress, things that cause stress. Hindrance stressors that nobody wants. Those are things like the hassles. Yeah. Like bad parking doesn't make people better at work. Or having unclear expectations. Or a micromanaging boss. Uh, or a a volatile boss who loses his or her temper. Those are hassles and hindrance stressors. That makes work better for nobody, uh, for no one at all. Um, however, there's also something called challenge stressors. And that's the stress where you're being challenged in a good way. Like maybe you're a surgeon and you get a chance to try a new technology. And it's a little nerve wracking because it's something you haven't done before, but it's exciting and you're learning. Or maybe you're challenged because you got a promotion at work and it's the first time you've actually managed people. Yeah. You're still excited. It's like a positive stress in the sense that even though your body's having sort of a stress response, it's not a hassle and it, uh, it makes things exciting. And if you cope with it, um, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And it, it raises what's called organizational commitment. So if you have challenge stressors, people often 
want to stay at their job longer because they feel like they're learning and growing. But the key is how much challenge. So if you're challenging people in their sweet spot, it's exciting. But if you're giving people challenges that are way beyond their capacity, then they just feel anxious and stressed. So it's about making sure people aren't bored, no stress at all, too easy, no challenges, versus stretching people a little bit. That suddenly makes work more exciting. But then getting to the point where they're stressed beyond their capacity, you're making someone make big decisions where they don't have the authority or the training or knowledge, that's going to just make them feel anxious and not good at all. But also stress in the workplace, and this is something that I talk about a lot with you and with others, is when we're stressed, a lot of times our dark side personalities come out and we're Mm -hmm. not our best selves. And that can impact productivity because our dark side personality traits often end up damaging relationships and other issues around the workplace that end up creating new problems. And what I mean by that is a passionate person under stress may become a volatile person and start being explosive and saying things they didn't mean or breaking things or having temper tantrums. So first they're stressed because a work project isn't going as well as they thought, but now they've upset their entire team and have to go around repairing relationships. Now they have been more things on their to-do list because of that. Or maybe because you're stressed at work, maybe your dark side personalities have become so reserved that you shut down and go away. So you end up feeling productive because you're by yourself working all day. However, to get, but for the work to really be good, it needs input from a lot of people and to get buy-in, people have to feel like they're a part of it. So as a result, you have to start again because people uh, don't feel like they were included or didn't give the valuable input they would have liked to have given to that work. So those are just some of the ways stress can impact work beyond just the obvious, like too much stress can impact our ability to concentrate and focus. uh, And we make more mistakes. Yeah. Or we can get sick and can become absent. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm noticing um, as you've been talking that there are layers to stress and there are different types of stress than just good and bad stress. But would you also say based on what you've been talking about, that there is a healthy amount of stress that propels good work. Yeah, depending well, depending on your definition. But yes, it's, it's a healthy amount of challenge and challenge stressors that people feel like, okay, this is a little bit stressful and if I get it wrong, there could be negative outcomes. But I also have some ability to cope with it. So yeah. in other words, your first management job, first time managing people, will be more stressful than not managing people. However, Mm. but if you feel like you have a good mentor and somebody you go to, if you struggle, then you're good. That is going to be maybe a positive stressful experience because you're going to maybe feel stressed, but there's someone you could talk to that will help you cope with it. Yeah. However, if you're thrown in that situation and you feel like no one's going to help you and if you fail, you're going to get fired and humiliated, that's a different experience. Yeah. And I think you bring up a mentor is a really great one because my next question for you is how might managers help employees cope with stress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of different ways, but the first step is to sort of diagnose or understand why a lot of employees are stressed Mm -hmm. and to understand why, because there's not a one size fits all. 
Yeah. Uh, and not to assume that just because you don't find something stressful, other people don't. You may mm. have found something easy. You may have a talent for something. You may have more resources in your life. Um, or sometimes you may get more control or more support at the workplace because of your status. Um, you know, maybe people respond to you differently. So your work is less stressful, but as a manager, uh, helping people cope with the inevitable, um, things that come with the job. But, but first usually is diagnosis. So for example, maybe you find out people are stressed because they don't know how they're going to be evaluated by you as a manager. So helping people have clear expectations, showing people how the evaluation system works before the performance appraisal is done, uh, helping people prioritize based on clear values can be an easy thing to do. So a lot of stress comes from what we call role ambiguity in the workplace. And that's where people don't know what's expected of their role. Yeah. So the more you can make people know, understand which values to prioritize, then they don't need a rule for everything. So they, if you start maybe in your organization, there isn't a rule for everything, but maybe the number one thing is customer service. So if you tell people if they're overwhelmed, but the number one thing is positive customer service, that can help. Or maybe, you know, I've done a lot of work with nuclear power companies. You know, the number one thing is safety. So if you're stressed because you have budget issues and operational issues, but there's a safety issue, well, safety issues come first. Yeah. And that can help you prioritize. So knowing how to prioritize, knowing what's expected, what's most important. Um, role modeling, how to handle stress. So if you're a leader or a manager and people are seeing you show your ugly side the minute you're stressed and not dealing with it effectively, that's not helpful. But it's okay to admit you get stressed as a manager, but show people how you're effectively going to cope with it and not just be a pessimist, but try to solve, solve the problem. Um, and also sometimes, I'll just give another, so many things managers can do. Yeah. But I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll just give a couple other examples. One, um, understand when people, when you throw a big change at people, they're going to want to grieve. Their first reaction is to think about what they're losing. Mm -hmm. So giving people a little bit of time to feel that loss is important as a manager. So you may, you may have known about a change for a month, but your employees are hearing about it for the first time. And your yeah. mindset will be like, who moved my cheese? Change is good. Um, well, give them a little time to experience a little bit of grief for what may change. Yeah. And then help them change. Um, and then uh, two other things generally, by hiring well is oftentimes overlooked in terms of the stress management equation. But the more incompetent or unready people you put around your team, the more stress you're going to be. So the more attention to making sure that you hire well will make a less stressful organization. And then finally, a final example I'll give, but I'll give more if you want any more. Uh, you could train people in stress management techniques uh, so at the individual level. And that could be training people in behavioral techniques like uh, progressive muscle relaxation, meditation, mindfulness, or it could be cognitive techniques, like teaching them how to dispute distorted thinking 
uh, could be examples of stress management training. Yeah, for sure. And I think those are really great examples. And I guess managers are managers for a reason because they can handle all this stuff. But do you think there might be some undue stress put on managers considering all these different elements you've just mentioned that they need to be aware of whilst also coping with the stress that they would go through mm-hmm. um, with a like higher up role? Right. On any survey, a huge percentage of managers uh, feel stress. And also... It's hard for them, especially those in the middle, to help their employees cope with stress if no one's helping them cope with stress. Yeah. So oftentimes it becomes a vicious cycle in an organization. So if the manager is getting unclear direction from their senior manager and your senior managers are getting unclear direction from their president and no feedback, no development, no coping strategies, it tends to trickle down. Yeah, uh, for So, sure. So it, it is a... A stressful role, but I, I find with managers, one of the most important things to do is to help them gain awareness of their tendencies under stress and to recognize how it impacts others and, and why they need to be self-aware of their tendencies under stress. So if they realize that under stress, they become volatile or become overly reserved or overly attention-seeking, they can always say to yourself, okay, the reason I'm being attention-seeking during this moment is because I'm stressed and now everybody has to watch me be dramatic. Um, And being aware of how that impacts everyone around them. And that's time for them to go take a deep breath, to do a relaxation exercise, calm down so that they're not making things more stressful. Yeah, for sure. And just going back a bit to when you said that if employees are experiencing a loss, that it's important for managers to let them grieve that loss and have that time to um, process a change. Do you think that then empathy is a really key trait for managers to have to be able to discern that and give employees that time they need whilst also being there to help them through change? Correct. And, uh, you know, some le- some level of empathy Uh is necessary. So a good manager has some empathy and self-awareness. Um, you know, they don't need to have sympathy. They don't need to be crying with the employees or, yeah. or losing sleep overnight saying, Oh, I just stressed out every employee. Cause I told them that we may close down one of the sites and people may have to move locations. Um, but, uh, being able to put themselves in the perspective of, suddenly realizing things are going to change and they're worried uh, can help you generate a more um, helpful response. And um, allowing people the time to grieve isn't the same as allowing people to sort of to talk negatively about the change forever. It's Mm. giving some people the freedom and the psychological safety that uh, they can express some of what they're nervous about. And potentially you could comment or, or just understand it, you know, and recognize that it may take, you know, at least some time, not expecting them to suddenly be positive about everything yeah. five minutes after hearing about the change. You know, some people will pretend to be that way or know that that's the way they're supposed to be. But um, it's just human nature. It's a natural response when you're told something's going to change, even if it's, intellectually good we often go to what we're gonna lose yeah and what's different so people think that and so understanding that and giving people a day or so to process it before you start telling them you must be a positive thinker 
Mm. I will hear no negative talk. You know, that, I don't think that's good. So, let, you know, letting people be authentic and not have to fake it uh, in every environment uh, is important. I mean, there's places where it may be inappropriate for them to express their grief, you know, perhaps in front of customers or in front of certain people, but they, it, it should, they should have, they should be expected and given the safety to express some of the things they're nervous about because it's very normal. Yeah, for sure. And normalizing that in the workplace would be very important as opposed to always being on the grind and expecting people to just move from one thing to another. Exactly. And one of the most stressful things in the workplace is not being allowed to be yourself. That's exhausting. We call that yeah. emotional labor. Okay. So if all day long you have to fake your emotions, eventually that becomes a stressor. It's easy to do in small, quick moments. Like it's easy for a server at a restaurant to fake happy for a quick interaction at a table and then go back to the kitchen and <laughs> be sad again. Yeah. But, but if you have one of those jobs where you're in an open workspace, you have to see you all day long and you have to have a fake smile on your face all day long that, and you're not a happy person, you're not an extrovert, um, that could be very stressful. Yeah. And what can emotional labor do to someone over an extended period of time? It can cause burnout. So, yeah. um, and I, I actually did my doctoral dissertation on, on emotional labor uh, in the workplace. And when people can't be who they are, their authentic selves, they have to fake their personality. It can work for short periods of time. And sometimes it's a script that can be helpful, but it's a double-edged sword. Generally, people have to be someone they're not day after day for long periods of time uh, start to wear down. It makes your job exhausted, exhausting, and as a result, they suffer burnout. And when people become burnt out, they've been stressed so long, they become closed off, apathetic, negative. They have trouble fighting meaning in work. And it's much easier to help a person who's just stressed versus burnt out. Because once people are burnt out, they're almost exhausted. They become cynical. They've almost given up that their work can make a difference. So it's often better to try to help stressed out employees cope with their stress before they get to the point of being completely burned out, shut down, cynical, apathetic. Yeah. Um, so that's often a good thing, especially when good uh, talent is hard to find. You know, yeah. you see a lot of nurses, for example, there's a nursing shortage here right now. Oh, okay. Right? I don't know if you have a nursing shortage too in Australia, but we have a nursing shortage here. And it's not because enough people aren't trained as nurses, but a lot of nurses quit during COVID. Yeah. And didn't want to, don't want to go back. And a lot of nurses, even though that's a nice paying job, there's a lot of opportunities, get burnt out and they, you may have a grumpy nurse and say, how could that person want to help you with They seem so grumpy and angry. Well, because if they, they feel like they're stressed every day, nothing's getting better. They're not heard or listened to. They're not, if they feel like they're not being treated well, uh, they burn out and they feel exhausted from that work and end up wanting to do something different. So consequently right now it's, hard to find enough nurses. Same with teachers. We have plenty of people who are trained as teachers right now, but some areas have a shortage of teachers because of, during COVID and other situations, 
parents were brutal. The situation was tough. Um, there's many people who felt like they weren't appreciated. Uh, they didn't have control. Um, and they burned out and they don't want to go back. Yeah. So as a result, you know, they're saying, how do we get more teachers now? Yeah, for sure. And back to what you said about people pretending to be someone they're not and losing that authenticity. Um, is it possible for them to convince themselves that they're not that person or that they are that person? Sorry. And is that why that leads to emotional labor? Yeah. Well, some people are good for short periods of time. So a lot of people in the workplace are what we call learned extroverts. Yeah. Uh, you could be a writer on television who could be an extrovert for an hour when they're doing a funny interview. But then after the show, they want to go home and rest and they feel exhausted. I've worked with some presidents and CEOs who are introverts, but they can pretend to be an extrovert five or six hours a day when they're interacting with employees and trying to boost morale. They can pretend to be social. But then when they go home, they tell me their spouses say, what did you run out of words? Or <laughs> you don't want to talk anymore because uh, being an extrovert for several hours when they're really an introvert is exhausting. Yeah. When introverts go to big parties, they often need a break. When extroverts go to parties or run into friends, they often feel energized and get a second win. But if, if, so being an extrovert, if you're an introvert and you've learned how to do it for a few hours and it helps things, oh, it's probably fine. But if you have to do it too long and then you go home and you still have to do it, that can be very exhausting. Yeah. Um, you know, playing a part. Um, and sometimes people can make mental shifts where they find ways to make it feel like they're being authentic or find ways to do it where it's not causing too much strain. But if you feel like you're not being yourself and if you feel like you're acting all day long and you are always have to be on and watch yourself and monitor yourself um, where it's going beyond just basic self-awareness, but you're you're feeling like you're, you know, playing a role all, all day long. That's exhausting. That's mm -hmm. hard. Yeah, for sure. And it can be tiring and a source yeah. of dissatisfaction. And I guess that could even lead people to wanting to quit or remove themselves from that situation entirely. Correct. And they yeah. do. And so, and even little, I mean, let's take it in a little way. Let's say you have to give a presentation. And you want to help someone at work give a presentation. So you say, hey, tell some jokes. That's always a way to make it a good presentation. But let's say you're a person who doesn't consider themselves as comedic or having a good sense of humor. That just adds another layer of stress. So you tell a person who doesn't think they're uh, good at telling jokes that the way to have less stress is to tell jokes at their presentation. That's going to make them feel inauthentic and add another layer of stress to public speaking. Instead, to relieve the stress, tell the person, you're charming how you are. It's okay to be a little bit nervous. Be yourself okay. and people will love you. That's why we hired you. We like you the way you are. The Who you are is engaging and you don't need to be somebody you're not. Yeah. You don't need to play a role. And the more authentic you can be, the less stressful it is. Now, of course... If someone's a total jerk and no one in the office 
likes them and telling them to be themselves at a public presentation may be dangerous, but that's a different issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, if you're trying to make someone who had the task of making a speech and making a speech stresses them out, then you tell, give them a solution that involves them not being authentic. That's adding more stress. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how do you get like an employee, for example, to do something without it taking away from their authenticity? Because sometimes you can be like, hey, can you do this? But it's not inherently who they are. How do you balance that? Yeah, well, sometimes if you trust a person, you could, you could say, hey, this is how I would do it, but feel free to put your own twist or your own mark on it. Here's how I do a presentation, but if you like to do it a little differently, that fits you, that's good. Um, but also... Uh, a lot depends on how big of an ask it is and also what they mean by it's not being them. Sometimes you may want to push back if maybe they're misunderstanding what you're asking. Um, you know, like if if you say, I need you to be at this presentation at 8 a.m. and they say, well, I'm not a morning person. Uh, and you say, well, this we're open from 8 to 4 and that's it. Um, that probably wouldn't be a good response, like, no, just be who you are. Do the presentation whenever you want. Well, we can't <laughs> control that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, there are situations, you know, where um, it may make sense where if someone says, I don't do this in the morning or that because it's something very unique to them. I've heard singers say, you know, they don't want to sing on radio shows if it's morning because they're not in their good voice yet. So, I mean, yeah. there's, there's different different reasons. So when people say authenticity, you know, there, there's extremes, of course. Yeah. But, uh, but generally the more you can allow people to bring who they are to a, a work situation or project, the less stress they'll be. Um, especially if it's for an extended period of time, yeah. it's a very short interaction. Sometimes following a script and acting helps, you know, if you're talking about, let's say customer service calls or something like that. And, um, or quick service at a restaurant. Sometimes following a script, but giving people a little freedom uh, can be enough. Um, yeah. Like in other words, you don't want to tell a wait person or a server at a restaurant, if you're in a grumpy mood, just be grumpy. Mm. But they don't have to be completely fake because you know, if someone seems like they're just really angry and have a fake smile, that may be an awkward interaction. Yeah. But you know, but if you want them to sort of be empathic and show certain things. There could be a middle ground between how they're feeling and how they treat the customer. Yeah, for sure. So there are limitations to it, but it's also about recognizing your boundaries when it comes yeah. to that. And recognizing, yeah. yeah, that it's stressful to have to be somebody you're not. Yeah, for sure. And I'd love to leave people with some uh, ways or like coping mechanisms for dealing with stress during times of change or difficulty yeah well i i think um during times of difficulty and stress like i said giving yourself some self-compassion that during times of change it's okay to feel a little bit of grief you're not a bad person if you are feeling some sad things about a change even if it's good yeah um so expect that that some stress around change is normal and normalizing it uh, as a first step and not forcing yourself to have to be in denial about it. Yep. And also the 
make sure that how you're coping with it is a healthy choice. Sometimes there's a change that you can't control and you just have to wait. Sometimes the best coping is to ignore it or you distract yourself from it. You know, a change like we'll announce on, you know, it's Friday and we're going to announce some changes on Monday uh, that are big. And maybe you're worried about that, but there's nothing you can Google or search that's going to get you the answer. So maybe the way to deal with stress is getting a massage or seeing a movie or distracting yourself uh, and not thinking about it. However, if the stress is something you can do something about and work on, I think some things I like to do are, um, I, if, if it's a huge change that requires a lot of learning, shrinking the change and breaking things down into small parts, uh, and working on and not being so overwhelmed. But also I like, um, using cognitive techniques where you think about your thinking and saying, am I being overly pessimistic and challenge that and get yourself to sort of think, can you be more optimistic? And even if it's a bad outcome, you know, is it a chance to learn and grow? So starting to shift your thinking and challenge your beliefs that are leading to stress, like automatically thinking you're doomed if the changes weren't going to be negative and, and trying to replace those thoughts with more productive or realistic thoughts or even as opportunities. And then behavioral methods. I think if you're having trouble sleeping because of the stress, things that work for me are things like progressive muscle relaxation, where you squeeze muscles and then release and relax. So you start to get this sensation of the difference between a tense muscle and a relaxed muscle. So being aware of your muscles are tense stuff. And then also being aware of behaviors that actually make you feel worse. You know, sometimes mindlessly during stress, we may go for quick, quick pleasure, such as bad nutrition Mm -hmm. or, and eating lots of junk food or drinking too much and then feeling even worse. So practicing self-care can make you more resilient during stress and making sure that you're taking care of yourself as much as you can. And that's sometimes easier said than done. It's not always fair to tell people, oh, practice self-care. And I mentioned Viktor Frankl at the beginning. You know, you don't say to someone living in a concentration camp or a refugee <laughs> camp, right? Sure. Like, you know, uh, if you get eight hours of sleep and eat uh, organic food, uh, maybe you'll have less stress. Um, but um, but generally, um by making choices, taking care of ourselves. So as if things do go south or get worse, you're more resilient to cope with it instead of making sort of high risk choices that could make the situation worse. Yeah, for sure. And I love how you brought in self-care because I feel like it's really important. And sometimes it can be a bit overrated because something might happen to you and someone's like, make sure you take care of yourself. And it's sometimes hard to figure out what that actually means. But then you can go through like a process of trial and error, I guess, to figure out what healthy habits are and which ones don't really serve you the best. For example, like indulging in unhealthy food or drinking too much, like those types of habits. Yeah. And that, those are the negative ones or even the positive ones. Sometimes, sometimes telling people to engage in self-care when they're stressed can sometimes even be a little insensitive because sometimes stress, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. You know, you may have had situations where 
um, you know, maybe there's a death in the family far away. You have to fly and the flight gets canceled and, and you're stuck at the airport and you can't get a good night's sleep. And the food choices at the airport are all bad. And maybe, uh, uh, you also have a cold and, um, and you get, you have an hourly job. And as you're go- traveling, you're also thinking, you know, you're, you don't have enough money now for to pay the rent. So, I mean, uh, sometimes you're not in a situation where you can have ideal self-care, but in the ideal world, yeah, the more you can get enough sleep, eat nutritious food, exercise properly, um, you're generally more resilient against the curveballs and the um, stress that's that's thrown your way. Yeah, for sure. And it's so circumstantial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's definitely circumstantial. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes your stress is caused by, not by bad things happening around you. Many times we have stress because we're avoiding behaviors. Mm-hmm. So... Um, if your stress is because you've put off an important conversation with somebody, if your stress is because you haven't finished your master's thesis saying, I'm going to have more me time and practice self-care and you may get more stress because what you're doing is putting off what you need to do. Yeah. So if you have to tell someone something important and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to get a massage now and go, you know, have a go to a get some fresh squeezed juice and then take a jog and then another day passes you don't have the conversation that's not helpful so sometimes the best solution to stress is just doing the behavior that's missing and so yeah. it's not about self-care it's not about behavioral techniques it's not about um cognitive techniques it's it's about addressing what you're avoiding and the fear of what you're avoiding and to deal with it and then that's the best way to deal with the stress. Yeah, for sure. So you're sure. right. So circumstantial indeed. Yeah. And as we've talked about this, I've just realized how much navigating is required around this topic. And like, you really have to learn more about yourself and how you deal with things and how other people can help you. And there's so many variables. So that in itself can cause you stress. I yeah. Guess. Mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it's it's really complex, but um, thank you so much for going through all of that with us. I'd love to move into our practices, habits, debrief section. So this is where I'm just going to ask you how you deal with stress in your life. So my first question for you is, is there a practice that you use to help cope with stress? Yes, and so for me, a lot of times I don't even think of things as practices anymore because certain things eventually just become habits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's just what I do. So, um, you know, maybe I'm about to have a stressful meeting. And so I'm coaching myself in my head to calm down and to dispute irrational thoughts and to get rid of unrealistic thinking or doomsday scenarios and replace them with more optimistic or uh, positive scenarios when I, when I don't know. But uh, oftentimes if I'm about to go into a stressful meeting or presentation, I sometimes close my eyes and simply count backwards by threes. Sometimes that's simple practice. And it's more difficult than you think to count backwards by threes. Yeah. You know, I remember you mentioned it before and I was trying to do back. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. But it also, especially if you have a little bit of an attention deficit disorder or you're a little bit distractible, 
sometimes slowing down your breathing, closing your eyes, counting backwards by three before you have a difficult phone call or meeting or Zoom call is a simple way sometimes to snap back into things. And also, many times, it can be stressful for me if I have a task that's just way overwhelming. You know, so a giant task. So sometimes just by what I mentioned before, shrinking the chain, shrinking the task. Um, so instead of saying, I'm going to clean up my entire office right now, saying for the next five minutes, I'm going to clean my desk yeah. as perfect as I can. Yeah. And then that thrill of like, wow, the desk looks great. That may motivate me to do another five minutes of something else. But that can, can help. That kind of thinking sometimes makes certain things less stressful if you give yourself these baby steps. You're, you're sort of thinking globally, but acting globally, locally. And as long as you're thinking big, having the perfect uncluttered office, but saying, I'm going to feel good if I accomplish in these five minutes a clean desk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. So those things. So those are those are some things I do, but also uh being aware of the importance of nurturing relationships. And one thing I recognize in myself, sometimes I feel really productive if I sat at my desk all day and did a hundred things and got a bunch of emails done. But that's when I often realize I'm doing poorly because as a manager, as a leader, I need to be connecting with people, growing with people. And then when stress comes as a result, you have a network of people who want to help you. Yeah. Versus doing everything by yourself. Um, so for me, reflecting on certain things. So for Marshall Goldsmith, he talks about asking himself questions at the end of the day. And I think asking yourself, you know, am I am I cultivating my networks? Did I connect with enough people? Did I get enough people recognition today? And those practices can sort of help reflect in a day, give a structured way to reflect on your day and think about things that maybe are making your life more stressful and less productive yeah. um, can be can be helpful as well. And so for me, the things I've been doing and coaching people and I've been doing so long, I don't even think of them as practices because they're often just what I do is just, you know, if I'm about to go into a stressful Zoom call, I find myself closing my eyes, counting backwards. As I'm walking to an important meeting, I start, you know, as, I, as stressful scenarios or doomsday scenarios pop into my head, I start counseling myself just like I was be coaching somebody and say, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, are you sort of negative fortune telling or reading people's minds or assuming the worst? And if the worst does happen, what are the implications? And sort of challenging that and sort of getting yourself to a more positive um, mindset. Yeah. And do you find that there are any challenges to these habits that you've got? Um, well, I think for me, no, but it's about what works for other people may not, uh, be the same thing. Yeah. Of uh, course. You know, a lot of times the relaxation exercises that are great, um, may not work. Um, for certain people, maybe they, you know, some people will say, I like to do yoga stretching as my relaxation, but maybe they'd be embarrassed in their office. Or sometimes people with anxiety, if you ask them to do reflective type exercises, uh, they start getting obsessive and dwelling instead of reflecting. 
So it may not work for them. So the downside of sometimes things is just assuming what works for somebody else may work for you. And a lot of people, you mentioned, asked about role models in the beginning. Sometimes people make the mistake of saying, okay, I'm just going to do with this famous person does not work for me. So, um, you know, Steve Jobs always had just three things for lunch or always wore the same shirt or, um, you know, a podcaster that I like, he'll say he gets up at four in the morning every day mm. and that works for him. But if, but if you can't go to bed till one in the morning, that may not be a good idea. Um, so sometimes it's, you have to think about what works for you. And once again, what gives you meaning and what's, what's practical and doesn't cause other problems. Uh, you know, for me, it's also very important to, to exercise as a major especially, but also, yeah. uh, some people are in a situation where it's harder for them to exercise. There may be something else going on. So that may not work, may not work yeah. for them. Yeah. And I think it's important to find what works for you. Like, even though you're giving us these tips, like what works for you might not work for me or other people listening. So it's about finding what does help. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I would love to jump into some questions from the audience that I think would kind of expand upon what we've been talking about. So my first one is how can I create a healthy work-life balance while navigating challenges in my personal and professional life? Yeah. So once again, when it comes to work-life balance, a lot of people want to tell you what that means or what yeah. is good and what is bad. And what is a good work-life balance? The first step to ask is, what's important to you? What do you care about? So it's 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 striking the right um, balance for what you need at the time. Uh, and so so thinking thinking about that is very very important. Um, and then also with balance. Um, People often talk about the stress of role conflict, where if you feel like you're doing well in one role, it's hurting another. That's often the downside of juggling many things. That if I want to focus more on my work, then I'm not focusing enough on some other relationship or raising a child or your pet or something like that. But also the upside is when you have complexity in your life like that. Um, sometimes if one thing's going bad, you have something else to turn to. So like if yeah. all you're doing is one thing, uh, and you don't have an issue with work-life balance. And if that one thing is going bad, then you're probably going to get even more stressed because that's the only thing you have. So then yeah. I was thinking about the benefit of having things to juggle. But I'd say the first chance, first thing to think about before you start um, looking for the solution to work-life balance is first defining what is meaningful to you, what type of life do you want to have, what do you want and why do you want it, and then starting to eliminate things that don't relate to the life you want to have and giving more time to what you care about. So if, yeah. if, uh, so, so, so that's often an important way to balance. And then also sometimes finding ways to bring things together or having focus time on each is different solutions, depending on what the relationship challenges and what the work challenges. But I'd say the first step is, at least finding out why you want something and that will help you make some of the choices you need to make. 
Yeah. And I love how we've gone kind of full circle back to that question of why you want something. I feel like it's so important to figure that out, no matter if it's something to do with your personal life or your professional life, like knowing why you want something can always help you navigate balance, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And my next question for you is, how can I avoid feeling overwhelmed by the many difficult changes occurring around me? Yes. Um, well, first of all, once again, um, accepting that it's normal to feel some grief yeah. and upset by things that are changing and things that may be different, but uh, and also allowing yourself some time to go on a journey to explore, and then and then eventually taking the responsibility to making some ch- some change. Uh, but uh, things can be overwhelming. So breaking things down uh, in terms of what can you do now that can help move you towards the life that you want versus saying, I need to fix everything all at once. Yeah. Um, And then also uh, listening to your thinking and looking to see if you're a lot of times when we're overwhelmed, it's, Sometimes very real. Sometimes, you know, you get list of things that are going on in your life and people go, wow, that's how can any human being deal with all that? Mm-hmm. But many times we convince ourselves we're even more overwhelmed than we are. You know, there's many days where I say, oh, my God, I have so many things to get done. I'll never get it done in one day. And then by two o'clock, I'm, oh, I got everything done. Yeah. Sometimes we can negative fortune tell or convince ourselves that something's much more challenging than it is. So sometimes it's important to say, hey, am I negative fortune telling? Am I making things more catastrophic? Am I being over over dramatic? Taking a deep breath, relaxing, getting things done, um, not, uh, not uh, multitasking too much on high attention tasks where you do everything poorly and then it's just, um, you have to redo it again. Um, but also sometimes multitasking when it's a, a lot of low attention tasks, like boiling an egg and do, listening to a <laughs> webinar at the same time isn't so hard. Yeah. But texting and trying to listen to somebody at the same time is difficult. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so those, those are things, but many times when we're overwhelmed, we're thinking about trying to solve everything all at once and not sort of breaking things down into smaller, more manageable habits and steps. And anything great that you've ever done is a result of continuing good habits and practices, not because of just one quick action. So if you get started taking, you know, baby steps and small positive habits towards something you care about, that helps. And the other thing of being overwhelmed that comes back to what I was saying at the beginning, many times we're overwhelmed because we have things on our list we just don't care about, but we feel like we should do. Mm -hmm. So how many things are you putting on your list? Are you overwhelming yourself because no one's making you, but you just decided that you have to do this thing. You have to go to this event or you have to 
make this neighbor happy by listening to their stories for half an hour, or you have to, um, you know, stay uh, late at work for something that no one's asking you to stay late for, but you just decided that uh, you had to. Maybe you are told that, but sometimes we put things on ourselves. Sometimes we're overwhelmed because we take on other people's tasks instead of having a difficult conversation. So many yeah. managers are overwhelmed because they're doing the work, someone else's work. I work with so many managers that have too much to do. And part of the reason is because instead of having a difficult conversation with an employee, a direct report, they're doing the work of that direct report. Yeah. And that makes sense. And then they're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. And I guess it kind of comes back around to authenticity as well, like doing what's meaningful to you and what's true to you as opposed to just doing it because you feel like you have to be doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and trying to eliminate things you just don't care about and that don't make a difference in your life. Yeah. And I guess that's a hard thing in itself as well, because sure. eliminating something that you've been used to doing for a while is a challenge in itself. Sure. Or there may be things you're not doing. And that's the worst. Mm -hmm. When you talk about being overwhelmed is always feeling like your to-do list is incomplete because you never get to that thing you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I've got one last question for you, which sure. I personally love. Um, how can individuals proactively build emotional strength to better cope with ongoing change or stress? Yeah. Well, I think part of it um, is self-awareness and recognizing your personality and what impacts you and what drives you um, can help. And so if you become more self-aware that, let's say, you're more reactive than most people um, or becoming more self-aware of what you value and how that may be different than what other people's values, that can sort of help you sort of feel less bad about maybe your emotional response to something. Mm -hmm. But I also think in terms of managing emotions is that many times we get triggered by distorted thinking. Yeah. We over-personalize things. So many people are sensitive, which is great that they're sensitive. There's many upsides to being a sensitive person, but many times people are sensitive, over-personalize how certain people are behaving around them and see it as a direct attack. Like, so they may see somebody who's just uh, socially awkward as, uh, you know, being, that person being aggressive to them and only to them. Yeah. Or someone who's uh, uh, being a certain way as, as a very personal negative attack. And so if Learn, learning to sort of not personalize everyone's negative behavior and starting to recognize it's their deficit and you don't have to own it. You know, so, so if someone says something rude, rude to you, your reaction to say is, gosh, why, I'm, why, why am I so sort of weak that I'm getting picked on now versus thinking like, oh, that person um, has some issues that they think it's a, appropriate to talk to someone like that and just mm. moving on. Yeah. And I think that's really great. Not sort of internalizing someone else's bad decisions or their decisions as a direct attack on your character. Correct. And saying, yeah. yeah, so, and not personalizing it. Yeah. 
So now we're just going to go into our open mic section. So I'm just going to ask you um, to take the floor, talk about anything that you'd like. You could expand upon what we've already talked about or bring in a totally different topic. So um, I'll hand it over to you, Stuart. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, right now, um, in our world, there's, there's, a lot of a lot of stress. A lot of people are reporting being stressed at work um, and being s- stressed in their lives. Um, and I think uh, it's important for people to think about why and to bring back meaning. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of times people blame things like social media. Um, it's not really the social media as much as the fact that we're always comparing ourselves and saying, how are we deprived? And I should have what that person has. And I just want to get back to the conversation of really sort of taking charge of exploring what kind of life you want to have, what brings you meaning as a first step to managing your stress, to take some ownership of how you want to live your life and, and, uh, trying to overcome some of these fears and, um, and, and not sort of comparing yourself to everyone else and saying, how are you deprived? But to say, how can I have a life that I find meaningful and try to understand why you want certain things that, that you want, um, and to try to, cultivate a life that's not as stressful and and to recognize your strengths and your talents um what gives you pleasure and try to um and what gives you meaning and try to have a life that that can let those things blossom um and but inevitably no matter how hard you try there's life there will you will be thrown uh, stressors you didn't expect. And that's why it's good to have coping skills, uh, such as knowing how to do progressive muscle relaxation, deep breathing, mindful meditation, uh, and also to cultivate a support group and also learning how to challenge your own thinking and dispute unnecessary distorted thinking. Yeah. Beautiful. And I think that's a really great way to end today's episode and tie in everything that we've talked about today. Um, So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights on stress management. Um, You've brought such a great energy to this and I felt surprisingly calm talking about stress. So (laughs) that's really great. So thank you so much for that. And I think we've left people with some great strategies and things that they can use to overcome stress and when they're going through changes in their life. Um, So thank you again. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you. Um, so for those of us who want to find out more about you, where can we go? Uh, well, right now, probably the easiest is going on the mercy.edu website and looking me up uh, there or LinkedIn. And looking at Stuart Seidel right now. So that's best. Uh, my consulting, I generally do word of mouth. But the easiest way to find about my um, contact information, my teaching, my work is on the mercy.edu website, which is for Mercy oh. College, soon to be Mercy University. 
awesome. Um, and we also have Stuart's details in the description below if you oh, yeah. missed that. So to everyone listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on and we'll see you guys next time. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.